Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Advent is a time of waiting. We wait for God to send divine love and light into our dark world. How does this happen? God's light comes through Jesus, who became a human being, just like you and I, in order to be the means of restoring us to God. Merciful God, give us grace to heed the warnings of the prophets and forsake our sins, so that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch, bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. Today, God's messengers still appear in the wilderness of our lives to prepare the way of the Lord. May we be willing to repent of our sins and to get ready for God's kingdom. May we welcome God's baptism of the Holy Spirit's fire and love in our hearts. Amen.
Amen. Before you're seated, take a moment, share a word of grace and peace with those who are here in worship today. There are a couple things I want to uh, highlight in the the life of our church. Tonight at 6 o'clock, Ron and Gail Trail will be here to share about their ministry. Uh, We we don't talk about the places uh, where they serve because they're sensitive. Uh, We don't want to endanger the people who are there. Uh, But uh, we know that God is at work, and uh, they're coming to share something of what God is doing in uh, their place of service. Next Sunday evening is our annual carol sing. It's an opportunity to sing your favorite Christmas carols. Afterwards, we'll have a cookie reception in the community room. And uh, if you could uh, bring some cookies to share, but also some extra ones that we'll package up and distribute with the food pantry. And that will be greatly appreciated. We also need some children's church teachers. Uh, The last couple Sundays of December, the first two Sundays of January, information's in the bulletin about that. There are, um, also, there's also an insert about upcoming services, and uh, please take note that there are, when we get to the 18th, some time changes as we move into the holiday, further into the holiday season. I want to invite you to join with me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Lord our God, Despite your everlasting love for us, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. Too often we take whichever path offers least resistance. Lord our God, despite your blessings in our lives, we confess that we have not always loved our neighbors nor ourselves. Too often we live and work in ways that divide nation against nation, race against race, even family against family. Lord our God, despite your perfect faithfulness, we confess our half-hearted faith. Too often we are quick to give in to temptation, living in bondage to sin. Lord our God, despite the gift of your Son, We confess that frequently our worship is marked by selfishness and our witness clouded by fear. Too often we turn away from the brightness of your glory. Ever faithful, ever gracious God, forgive our sins and write your law in our hearts. As we look forward in hope to the Savior's promised coming, Prepare our lives to receive him in joy and gratitude, that we may live with him in your love now and forever. Amen.
Our Old Testament scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62, hear the word of the Lord. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate. But you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up. Build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your Savior comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after. The city no longer deserted. This is the word of the Lord. If our ushers will come forward at this time, we'll receive our morning tithes and offerings. I invite you to stand with me for the singing of the doxology. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the many gifts with which you have blessed us. I pray now as we receive our tithes and offerings this morning, we pray that you would receive these as gifts from our hearts to you and as simply giving back to you a portion of that with which you have blessed us. And we pray that you would take these and use them for your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.
The one who has come calls us to come to him with our burdens and our concerns. As we pray together, if you would like to use the altar as your place of prayer, I invite you to join me. Father, we want to acknowledge today that we recognize we are here only because Christ has come. The yearning through the ages of the Messiah has been fulfilled in your Son, the incarnate Christ. We've come today to worship and to sing and to offer our praise and to hear again your call out of your loving, compassionate, merciful heart to come to you with every burden, every concern, every struggle in our lives, in our world. Father, we pray today for people who are especially living in times and situations of great conflict and struggle. We pray that that there will be a sense of your presence with all who are struggling with illness. In the marketplace where corporations struggle for supremacy and where power rules. In places of the world where wars are being fought and into hearts that are trying to cope with loss and addiction depression and boredom, loneliness. We pray that your coming into the world will be more than just sentimentality. Let it be a true incarnation through which we see you enmeshed in the problems and the difficulties of our human flesh that we may hear the gospel of incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection and coming again. Father, we pray that during this Advent season, as you speak to us of stables and mangers, speak also to us of the part you bear in the politics and the economics of the world. As you speak to us of shepherds and angels' choirs, speak to us as well as you're in your role of in medicine and education and all of the dynamics of this world. Speak to us of stars and visiting magi and also speak to us of your struggle against personal and corporate injustice. Your concern for individuals and races, your your place in the way we live and love and worship. Father, transform us from being casual followers who really don't know Christ into true followers who not only know him but are willing to follow him into death. 
Give us a passion for your world. And give us courage to lay down our lives for all the people in this world, people you love. Father, let the incarnate eternal Son, eternal Son, fill us this day and fill this world. It is in his name that we offer our prayer. And the one from whom we learn the model for prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. And in the tradition of the church, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel this morning. Mark 1, 1 through 8, hear the word of the Lord. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. I suspect in the crowd, the size we have today, we have a lot of different views about preparation. And for some people, whatever you do, preparation is essential to it. And you spend hours and weeks and months preparing, getting everything just right, making sure you've thought of every contingency plan before you jump into something. Other people... Preparation is a hindrance. You know, it's all about spontaneity. It's all about flexibility. It's all about the adrenaline of the moment. And preparing just hinders that. I suspect that we probably have a lot of people who are in between there. And we we have these different views of, of preparation because we've had experiences or we've gone through things that we've seen with people, the pros and the cons of preparation. I saw a cartoon recently that said, the planning committee plans to meet Tuesday evening to plan a meeting to make plans for planning the next planning session. (laughs) Now that's somebody who understands the church. There it is, right there, right? They get it. Well, you know, it's those kinds of things that say, well, planning is bad, you know, it's not good. And, And there's probably a balance. But one of the things that I find when I read the beginning of Mark's gospel is that the coming of Christ is steeped in this whole concept of preparation. Mark says that, that John the Baptist comes because the prophets have said, prepare the way for the Lord. And John comes to prepare the way. And the coming of Christ is, is infused with all kinds of ideas about preparation. And what you, get, what you find when you read this and you read the other Gospels that tell us a very similar story is that if you really want to be ready for Christ, preparation is going to be a part of that. Preparation is essential. Preparation is so significant. But what exactly does that mean? What exactly does it mean to prepare? Well, we find here in in Mark's gospel that John says to people trying to help them to prepare, he says, come confess and repent of your sin. Confession and repentance are huge parts of preparing to encounter and experience Christ. I tend to think of confession as that, that moment after we have done something wrong or because of something we have done wrong and we speak to God and sometimes to other people and we confess our sins, we acknowledge it. Repentance, in my opinion, is a little bit bigger and wider than that. Repentance, I think, is more about how we live. It's about how we think. It's about what drives us. What, what is, what is the, the motivation for all that we're doing, not just that one moment where we didn't obey? Repentance is not so much about this sin or that sin as it is the need to recognize that our life is on a course that is not healthy. It's not the course of God. And as we have discovered through the years, the word repentance has that sense of making a U-turn. And we make this U-turn to turn the li- our direction around. 
Repentance is this mindset of realizing there is something about just who I am and the way I think and what's important to me and what motivates me. It's not what it ought to be. And that leads us to these acts of sin that need to be confessed. But that repentance is something deeper. It's a whole change of mind, change of heart, change of what we do and who we are. And to that idea... The prophet says, make straight paths as you prepare for for the Messiah to come. I like the way the New Living Translation has that. It says, clear the road for him. That conjures up images in my mind of a a two-lane highway going through the woods that is just a storm has just hit. And there are limbs and debris and all kinds of stuff blocking the road, making it impassable. And the only way that the road will become passable is if things begin to get picked up and cleaned up and the road gets cleared up. And I think that's repentance. Repentance is recognizing that Our road is cluttered with stuff that is preventing us from experiencing Christ, from knowing Christ, from being in relationship with Christ, from understanding all that Christ has for us. And the roads of our lives are are cluttered with the stuff that we find so important in this world. You know, the stuff that we cling to, the things of this world that, that we love and embrace and don't want to let go of things that become more important than Christ. You'll notice that there aren't any, don't seem to be any Pharisees that come to John. None of them are hanging around with him because there is a sense in their lives that that they don't need to repent. They don't need to confess any sin. And to do so would be, you know, out of character. And it strikes me that one of the most dangerous places we can be, one of the most dangerous things that lies in our road as people who are followers of God are the the limbs that say we've arrived. The limbs that believe that we don't need to repent of sin anymore. We've, We've done it. We've gotten to that place where we're finished. We've accomplished everything there is to accomplish spiritually. We've arrived everywhere there is to arrive spiritually. We're done. I think for many of us, that's going to be the temptation to be the largest limb in our road. And John says, you gotta get that out because that pride, that arrogance will keep you from experiencing Christ. You'll notice that John says, if you want want a glimpse of your motivation, if you wanna know that, that you really are committed to repentance and confession of your sin, He said the indicator of that is is baptism. People come to be baptized as they repent and confess. I suspect that baptism is more than most of us believe it to be. And and I know that we're, we're probably afraid that because some people think of baptism to one extreme, we go to the other extreme. And yet... When you look at Jesus, he himself is baptized. It's that important. And in some of the last words he gives his disciples before he ascends into heaven is go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Now, there are people who believe that baptism is saving grace. That until you are baptized, you are not uh, really a Christian. And you certainly could not go to heaven. And so because of that, we go to the other extreme and say, we often give the impression of, well, baptism, take it or leave it. You know, it, it's sort of a, it's important and it's great, but it's just sort of an add-on. It's something you can do if, if you want to, and we downplay it. And the scriptures are probably some of both. It is more than what we realize, and maybe for some people it's less than what they believe. But there is something about baptism that is a clear indication of our willingness to humble ourselves and to come before God and others and acknowledge we are sinners who need God's grace. I think this was driven home to me most clearly. I spent a summer in in Taiwan. Now, I went did my undergraduate work at George Fox out in Oregon, and George Fox is a Quaker, Friends School. And, and the, the Friends Church does not practice the sacraments. They believe that they are spiritual and not literal. So they don't baptize people, and they don't take communion. Took a little bit of getting used to that, but, you know, had some interesting conversations with people. But that's how they view their expression of, of their faith. And when I was in Taiwan, I, I encountered some uh, friends missionaries and we had some connections to George Fox and in the course of conversation asking them about their ministry they said you know not too long ago we baptized a dozen or so people and I said well wait a second you guys don't do that and they said well we do here and I said why and they said well because in this culture when when someone becomes a Christian say a you know a young person comes home and uh, from university and says mom and dad I've become a Christian the typical response is, well, that's great. We will add what you do as Christians to all the other things that we do in our other part of the religious nature of our family and our life. You put your Christian God on the shelf with the others. But when someone comes and says and is baptized, that's the defining moment. It's in baptism that after baptism, that that's usually when parents, if they're going to, will disinherit their children and throw them out of the house and, pers- and they will be persecuted. And that story is repeated in many, many places of the world. It's at baptism that the line is drawn where people know this is not about Jesus and it's about just Jesus. And I think we miss a lot of that because we live with such ease about our faith. No one's pressing, pressing us. No one's pushing us. And these kinds of declarations are not all that important to us. But somehow it is important in in what John is helping people experience in this preparation because it's it's, this act of humility before God and others and acknowledging our sin and recognizing that we've got a path strewn with stuff that needs to be taken care of. And baptism is one way we acknowledge that. And again, you don't see the Pharisees and the religious folk at the water being baptized by John, that would be too humiliating. That would be too humbling. They're not all that concerned about their journey with Yahweh. Their distance from God doesn't really matter to them. And that's a problem because John is clearly telling us that people are blessed by God when they prepare the way. It's in preparing the way. It's in clearing the clutter. It's in removing the stuff from the road that then we open up our lives to be blessed by God. 
And there is in John's message both blessing and condemnation. We tend to think of God's condemnation as some, something God arbitrarily puts upon people, but it's not. It's our choice. It is just the natural result of our choice. We always have a choice, and God honors our choice because his love for us is to give us the deep, what deep in our being we truly want. You know, the great divorce, the uh, allegory by C.S. Lewis, you know, tells the story of the people in hell are given the opportunity to take a bus trip to heaven, and when they're there, they see everything, and they have the opportunity to stay, but no one wants to stay. That's the irony of it, because nothing in heaven is what they want. They don't want anything that's there because they like the stuff that's strewn on the road. That's more important. That's the stuff that gives meaning to their life. These trinkets, these broken limbs lying in the road, that's the stuff that's most important. And even though heaven offers so much more, it's just not important and it's not what they want. And the question continually before us is, do we want the incarnate Son to lead us and guide us? Do we want Him to drive our lives? Do we want Him to overwhelm our lives and control our lives? Do we want His mind? Do we want to walk the road and allow Him to clear the clutter and the debris so that we can experience Him? Do we really want Him to get rid of that stuff? We tend to think of preparing for Christ as something we do in one moment and then it's done. But it's not. It's this day-to-day, moment-by-moment decision. It is an attitude, a desire. It's a, it's a yearning to see and know and experience Christ. It's a willingness to wait and ponder and to pray and trust because God doesn't always move and act and do things according to our plan. I have discovered that in the moments when God doesn't act in our time or in our way or, or, the, or in the circumstance doing things the way we want him to, it's in those moments that what we really want to be on the road comes to the surface. It seeps out. It's in the moments when we are not getting what we want, when we have to trust that what God is doing is right and best, we see clearly, do we really want the way of Christ or are we really wanting what we want. You know, waiting is hard. It's, it's integral to Advent. Waiting of the four Sundays of Advent symbolize the hundreds of years the Israelites wait for the Messiah to come. And some in Israel wait expectantly and in faith, and some in Israel turn into themselves and give up hope. The waiting reveals what's in their hearts. And the waiting of Advent and of life reveals what's in our hearts too. But when we're willing to wait and trust, when we are willing to say, God, please clear the clutter, remove the debris, we are opening up the door to the great blessings of God. Forgiveness of sin. Freedom from the bondage of sin. We have the Holy Spirit's power in us. We have all that God created us to know and experience waiting for us. And it's always more than any of us could imagine. 
But what God understands is that it's hard for us to prepare the way. It's hard for us to let go of some of this stuff, to open the road for Christ to come. And so God sort of has this this pre-preparation place for us. And he sends messengers to get our attention and to help us prepare. Every article needs an introduction so you can really grasp the author's point. Every musical needs an overture so that you can engage fully into what the composer has written. Every story needs a backstory so you can really grasp the drama and engage in the comedy or the tragedy of the piece. And the gospel needs a messenger who will help us prepare the way into John the Baptist. It it intrigues me that Mark begins here saying, this is the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came. You would think the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would lead, the next sentence would be about Jesus. But it's not, it's about John. And I think there is something here that we often miss. John is integral to the process of the gospel. I think we miss the power and the necessity of John in the fullness of the gospel. John and Jesus inseparably connect to make the gospel a reality. And it's not a full gospel if you have John but not Jesus, but it's also not a full gospel if you have Jesus and not John. The gospel doesn't happen without John because we need someone to go before and to help us understand and to help us want to prepare for the coming of Christ. I think in our modern day, I think since since Jesus ascended, since Pentecost, that role of the messenger, the primary role is the church. As, as John points toward the one who is to come, the church points back to the one who has come. All that the church does points to Jesus. Everything we do about the church calendar is about pointing and drawing our attention to Jesus. This is the role of the church, to be the voice of one crying in the wilderness, to be, to be the, the tool to help us clear the, the, the debris out of the road and to prepare for the coming of Christ. But as, as important and central as the role of the church is as the messenger, God is continually sending all kinds of messengers to help us clear the road. God speaks through events, wars, natural disasters, miracles. I lived in Oregon when Mount St. Helens blew up in May... Uh, 18th, 1980, I felt the boom and, you know, the next week saw the ashes falling to the ground and I saw this poster in a Christian bookstore not too long after that. And I thought that was pretty profound. But you know what I find is things like mountains erupting and wars taking place and the jarring events of life have a pretty short shelf life for most people. After 9-11, there was a huge surge of church attendance and interest in Christ, but it soon ebbed back. And I think that's why God's primary messengers 
are people, prophets, friends, spiritual leaders. And it's often through unexpected people and unexpected circumstances that God helps us prepare the most. Because if we can see God and are willing to hear and listen through the unexpected things and the unexpected people, we will surely hear Christ in the expected moments. I wonder, are we willing to to hear and to see through people we might typically reject or at least resist to believing that a word from God could actually come from them or come through that way? Maybe from people who think differently than we do. People who have a different perspective about life than we do. People who are, who are less educated or people who are more educated. People who, who embrace tradition or people who don't. People who lean politically left or people who lean politically right. People who view their faith differently than we do, even in ways that might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Can we believe that God might say something to us through these unexpected people? You know, John is pretty eccentric. I mean, even for a guy living out in the wilderness, and when you live in the wilderness and you're an itinerant preacher, you tend to wear things like camel's hair clothes and eat locusts and wild honey. I mean, that's what you do. Uh, but, you know, I, I was wondering if, if there were any, if, the, if his style would have caught on in their culture. You know, were there kids who were birthdays were saying, I'd like camel hair clothes just like John the Baptist. You know, were there John the Baptist action figure dolls, you know, that came with little bits of locusts and wild honey, you know, in it like that? You know, I don't think so. And not because they didn't have the marketing stuff that we do. I think they were looking at John and saying, wow, he's got a word from the Lord, but he's kind of out there. You know, he's kind of different. And certainly for a section of of the people, they weren't going to hear anything from John. But there were people whose hearts were open. They had a spirit of repentance, a spirit of humility. And when John came on the scene, they said, that's a word from God that I need to hear. And there may be people who come into our lives and we look at them and say, wow, they're kind of out there. They're a little bit eccentric. I'm not sure God would ever speak to me through somebody like that. Watch out. Watch out. You know, contrary to how we might plan it, Jesus comes into the world in the most unexpected way. And he's just born to common couple in a common little town out of the way no no flourish no no great flashes other than a few angels and some and a star and later on when Jesus is an adult he begins his ministry and he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth and he begins to preach all the people look at each other and say isn't this Mary and Joseph's son what's going on here he's just a kid like all the other kids and they miss him And it tells us that Jesus couldn't do very many miracles in Nazareth because they didn't believe. You know, because they're expecting him to come with a lot more flash, they miss him. Because they're expecting God to to come in a way that they have set in their minds, God could only come, they miss him. 
And the religious people miss him because he doesn't fit their way of thinking. I wonder if we miss what God wants to say to us because it's outside of the norm of how we think God ought to work. You see, the people who miss Jesus are the people who miss John. And the people who miss John are the people who miss Jesus. We prepare for Jesus by being ready at any moment for a word from God. And if we miss the messenger, it's a pretty good sign that we're going to miss, despite what we claim, Christ. If we're not clearing the road so that we can see Christ when he, so we can hear the messenger, we'll never see Christ when he comes. When he comes into our lives today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, and the result of a cluttered road is not blessing. Preparation is really not preparation. It's the point. The preparation is what makes it possible for us to encounter and experience and be open to Christ. It's only when we have this desire to see the road clear that we encounter the incarnate one and receive all of the blessing that he wants to pour into our lives. Are we willing and open for God to send a messenger who might come in a way we don't expect? One of my favorite Christmas stories is told by the American poet Edwin Markham about a cobbler, a godly man who makes shoes back in the old days. And one night he has a dream that is so vivid that the next day Jesus is going to come and visit his little shop. And he gets up the next morning and he is sure it's true. And he goes out and he gets some greenery and he decorates the whole place up and he just waits for Jesus to come. But nobody comes. Later in the morning, an old man comes to the door and he wants to know if he can come in to get a little warmth out of the cold. And he says, sure, come on in. And as he watches him, he sits there, he realizes his shoes are completely worn through. And the cobbler takes a pair off the shelf and sends him on his way wearing new shoes. And still he waits, and the afternoon goes along, and no one comes except for an older woman carrying a bunch of firewood. And he invites her in out of the cold and rests and discovers she hasn't eaten for two days. And he goes and he makes her some supper, and, and he feeds her. And he waits. And as, as the night is coming on and dusk is arriving, he hears a child crying outside of his door, and he goes out. And the child is lost and afraid and he takes a child by his hand and walks him home. When he gets back, it's dark. The day is done. And he's filled with just this overwhelming sense of sadness as he's certain that while he was taking that child home, Jesus came and he missed him. And in anguish, he cries out, why is it, Lord, that your feet delay? Have you forgotten that this was the day? And then soft in the silence, a voice he heard. Lift up your heart, I kept my word. Three times I came to your friendly door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. 
I was the woman you gave to eat. I was the child on the homeless street. Preparation for Christ is never just preparation. It's the point. And if we miss the messengers, we'll miss Christ. What's in our road? What clutter, what debris is God speaking to us about needing to clear? What word from someone is prompting us to see our lives in a way that we hadn't seen them before? Prepare the way for the Lord. Just bow your heads with me in a spirit of prayer. In this moment of silence, if God is speaking to you about something on your road, a broken limb, some debris, things that might be in the way from truly experiencing the fullness of Christ. Hear his voice and repent of your sin. Father, give us hearts that desire to prepare the way, to clear the road for Christ. Amen.
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.